If you want to turn in your Bible, we're going to be reading scriptures out of Romans chapter 1. Now we will be looking at the first chapter of the book of Romans over the course of the next four weeks and be talking exclusively about Paul's address to the church at Rome. There are many commentators, scholars, so forth, who have many opinions concerning the book of Romans. One of my favorite, Dr. Chuck Messler, has this to say about the book of Romans. That it is the single most influential piece of literature that has ever been written. Not just Bible, but literature. And I tend to agree with him. When we begin to look and to read and to study these 16 chapters that Paul has penned to the church in Rome, we see some great truths revealed to you and I. Truths that are not just relevant to the church back in the first century AD, but truths that are relevant even more so to you and I in the day and time that we live in. So much so relevant that the verse that we will be centering this study around, uh, the 20th verse in the first chapter of Romans, one of my most favorite scriptures of all time. It says, For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. And that is what we will study. That is what we will focus on without excuse. Now, I'm sure I'm probably alone in this, but I doubt there's been many people in this sanctuary today that has ever had somebody give them an excuse for something that they failed to do or to act on on time. (laughs) You know I'm being facetious, right? We've all heard them, haven't we? We've all heard excuses in our lives. We've all had excuses given to us about why or why not something has happened or something was done. All of us have given an excuse. We're all guilty. We've heard them. We've given them. But what I want us to look at over the course of the next four weeks is that What Paul outlays here in this first chapter, the foundation he lays for the rest of the book, for we could study the book of Romans till Jesus comes back and we would still not get through with it, okay? But what we're going to see over the course of the next few weeks is that Paul lays the foundation for what you and I, as believers in Jesus Christ now, believers in Jesus Christ, the foundation for what we will understand as the foundation of our faith. The grace of Jesus Christ, the grace of God. 
the faith that is required to love him, to serve him, and to see that when we, as God's people, enter out into this world, when we enter out into this life as witnesses of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, there is no excuse whatsoever for the world to reject the gospel. No excuse. There is no excuse for you and I to grow weary or grow tired in doing the work of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. No excuse. No excuse. You see, not only is the life of our blessed Savior outlined from Genesis 1 to the end of Revelation in this precious word, not only do we have all of his life entailed in everything in these details, but also we have the assurances to know that whatever you and I do in the name of our Lord and Savior is not in vain. Not in vain. We are without excuse. We're going to start in the first chapter and the first verse of the book of Romans. Let's begin reading. It says, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated into the gospel of God, which he had promised afore by his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord which was made of the seed of David according to the flesh and declared to be the Son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead, by whom we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all nations for his name, among whom are you also the called of Jesus Christ to all that be in Rome, Beloved of God, called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. Now what I want us, we're going to stop there. And what I want us to look at, I know this is, this is so exciting this morning, <laughs> this is so, I mean, we've been talking about prophecy for the last four weeks, and now we're going to get into what? The study of the history of the early church. <laughs> I'll try my best to keep you awake this morning, okay? I want us to understand and to look at this church that was beginning, that was in its formation days over there. You know in our Sunday night study, we're going through the book of Acts, studying the beginning of the early church. But here in this letter that Paul's writing to the church, it's already established. And I want us to go back and to look at the beginnings of that church, the foundations of that church, and to understand why it was so important. To understand what was so special about that church. Because we're going to see, as we look at that, that the church that existed that Paul wrote to has rippled down all through time. That it's rippled down even to today, the, the, the time that you and I live in. There's so many people uh, even uh, within Christendom today that will lay claim to that. And we'll talk about that here in just a few minutes. Uh, 
but I want us to just do a little bit of boring research or boring study. And our hopes is, is it won't be as boring as we think it might be to you. But I want you to see why it's important. I want you to see why the church is important, especially this church in Rome. That's why we're just reading this introduction here. You're like, Joey, what does the introduction have to do with anything about the gospel of Jesus Christ? What does the introduction to a letter to a church uh, almost 2,000 years ago have to do with my life today? Well, we're going to see that. Absolutely. When we look at this church, when we look at the letter that Paul wrote, we know that even today, like we was talking about, much disinformation, if you will, exists about this church. There are many within Christendom today, outside these doors, uh, people with ministries, people with churches, uh, organizations, structures, all such as that, that will lay hold and claim their orthodoxy from this church, the early church and the the church that Paul was writing this letter to. They will lay hold on that orthodoxy and say, our roots go back to that church in Rome. Okay, we understand that. People today are doing that. Our roots go all the way back to the church that Paul addressed this letter to. But what you and I need to understand is that uh, evidence has shown us that more than likely by the beginning of the third century, in other words, by the end of the 200s, the church that Paul had addressed this letter to basically existed in name only because the structure, the uh, so-called orthodoxy, the spiritual movement within that church uh, was no longer what it used to be. So you see those that would claim roots back in those days actually probably go back to the 3rd, 4th century, somewhere around in there. They say, well, we've got apostolic succession. I mean, and that's not just a Catholic church now. I've heard uh, Protestant churches claim that too, apostolic succession. In other words, their, their preacher, their pastor, their deacons, their bishops uh, have succeeded all the way back to Peter and Paul. Well, I'm here to tell you, this church does not have apostolic succession. <laughs> I don't go back to Peter and Paul. The best I can tell, we come from some uh, highlands over in Scotland, probably some uh, goat thieves, as best as I can tell, over there somewhere. Uh, that's the best I can do for you. I can't go back to there. So when a church begins to spout this stuff, begins to teach you this stuff about, well, we go back to those days. We claim this and we claim that. Automatically, a red flag should be raised. Automatically, you should understand, wait a minute, what are you trying to tell me? In other words, they're trying to lay hold on the authority that is presented here in the Word of God. Okay? This stands for itself. All right? This doesn't need me. It doesn't need the Southern Baptist Convention, it doesn't need any other denomination, it doesn't need any other church to uphold it. The Holy Bible stands for itself. Its authority and its words are true. So when mankind starts trying to claim 
uh, roots back in those days. Let that be a lesson to you. So you see, when uh, Paul begins to write this letter, he's writing to what? A church that is on fire for Jesus Christ. Look what he said in the first and second verse. He said, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated unto the gospel of God, which he had promised afore by his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. You see, Paul always goes back to the word of God. But notice what he's talking about here. He's a servant of Jesus Christ. Remember, he's, he's been converted. He met Jesus on the Damascus Road. He's called to be an apostle. There were those who questioned the apostleship of Paul, who questioned his authority, whether he was actually called or not. But he claimed authority by that meeting with Jesus Christ. And what he say? Separated unto the gospel of God. He was called to something different, something special. He was called to something that was not of this world. He was called unto the gospel of God. But then notice what he said, which he had promised, what God had promised before by his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. Now we read that, you know, we may think, well, okay. Yeah, that's what he's talking about here in the New Testament. But what Paul is speaking about, what Paul is referring to is what you and I know as the Old Testament. This is the scriptures that he was talking about. Remember when he was writing this letter, this, uh, uh, this group of books had not yet been collected. It was getting close. It was getting there. But it had not yet been collected and uh, taken by the church to be what we now know as the New Testament. Paul was speaking of the Old Testament. And notice what he said. Promised by his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. In other words, what you hear me talk about all the time about what the true definition of the gospel is always goes back to the Scriptures. What Paul is saying is the authority uh, that I have been given, the calling that I have been given always goes back to the Scriptures these prophets that we were talking about Thursday night, guys, these, these guys that were sawn in two because they were prophets of God, these guys that were crucified because they were prophets of God, these guys that were boiled alive because they were prophets of God, that's what we're talking about. That's what Paul's talking about. Those prophets told about the coming of Jesus Christ, but yet they, couldn't, they didn't see it. They couldn't understand the very things they were prophesying of. Paul speaks to that authority. He says, church, church, I want you to know, I've been called. I've seen Jesus. I'm telling you the authority of the scriptures are true. What the prophets talked about. What they told us about. A little bit of information about this church. A lot of people will try to tell you that Peter and Paul founded this church. Not so. Not so. Uh, it is supposed that what is known as the strangers of Rome, those that we see in Acts 2 and 10, you remember them? They were present at the great manifestation of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. That happened around 30 AD, somewhere around in there. It is believed that those people, the strangers in Rome, strangers of Rome, carried 
the good news of Jesus Christ back to the city of Rome when they left Jerusalem there after Pentecost. After the Holy Spirit fell, you remember Peter went out and started to preach to the thousands. Thousands were joined to the church. Well, listen, they didn't go out and build the first mega church out there. No, they didn't. No, what happened? They dispersed, and the people went back into their own lands. And guess what they did when they went back? They took the good news of Jesus Christ with them, didn't they? And you see, that's where this church over in Rome is to believe have got its start. So all this stuff about the authority of Paul, the authority of Peter, and all that bunch of nonsense. Mm-mm. No, it's a bunch of missionaries that got saved down there at Pentecost. That's the one. They went out there and started that church. Paul writes to them. It is not founded by either one of them. We know this by the different things we see in his epistles. All right? He speaks of, as we see later on in his scripture that we read, he speaks of their faith being well known. Paul hasn't even got to Rome yet, and yet he's writing to the church. He hadn't even got there. Notice what he says in verses 3 and 4. This is good. This is good. It's all good, but this is good. Paul went on to say, Concerning his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, which was made of the seed of David, according to the flesh, and declared to be the Son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. Now here, Paul hits on everything, okay? You, you recognize that phrase there that he says according to the flesh. You know, when we speak like we spoke about a while ago, the gospel, the definition of the gospel, we see things according to the scriptures. Well, uh, part of that uh, a scripture is telling about the coming of the Son of God according to the flesh. And this is what Paul is speaking about as he writes the church. He writes concerning his Son, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, our Lord, our Lord, which was made of the seed of David according to the flesh. There are people who will say Jesus was a good man, good rabbi, good teacher, prophet even. Oh, yeah, he's all son of God. No, 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 no. Blasphemy. That's what some of them say. That's blasphemy. So others will say, no, he wasn't. No, Jesus was not the son of God. He might have, he might have been uh, uh, blessed with the, the deity of God as he died on the cross, but he wasn't the, he wasn't the son of God. No, he wasn't God in the flesh. Oh, but Paul says, wait just a second. You, you want this gospel? You want the whole truth and nothing but the truth? This is it. That Jesus Christ, our Lord, was made of the seed of David according to the flesh. God in the flesh. You see, he's writing to the church now. He's writing to believers. It's like we was talking about in Sunday school this morning. The, the world can pick this Bible up and read it all day long, but it doesn't mean they're going to understand it. It doesn't mean they're going to comprehend it. This is spiritual. It's written to believers. It takes believers to live it before a lost and a dying world. They have to see God in us before they can see God in his word. You see? And what Paul is saying is that Jesus was made flesh. 
in the line of David, just like the scripture said he was going to. What was it? He declared to be the son of God. Woo. Declared to be the son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. All the things that the world declares is impossible, all that the world calls foolishness, Paul says, our Savior embraced these things. He claimed to be the Son of God. He was the Son of God. He came with the power, the Spirit of the holiness. He came and he rose from the dead. All the things that we say are bodily impossible that can't happen, Jesus Christ accomplished them. Notice that uh, uh, what Paul is, is writing to the church over here, he, he puts in shape the result of his thinking upon the preaching of Christ for over 20 years. He's been preaching a long time now. He, he's, he's writing these things to the church there since his conversion. And then he, he sums it up what, in what we see here in the book of Romans. This, this theme that is presented to us there, justification through faith in Jesus Christ. People today will tell you what? Well, you, you got to do, you know, if you're not good, you're not going to heaven. You got to do good works. You got to do good deeds. No, no, no. You see, that's one of the beauties of the book of Romans. That's one of the beauties of this letter that Paul gives us that he writes to the church here in Rome. And that's what we have to see is this church already at this time, it had the Jews and it had the Gentiles in this church. It had both of them were present here in this church. So when we see Paul writing to this church, we know he's not just focusing on the Jewish people. He's not just focusing on the Gentile people. He's focusing on the church, all those within the church, the way that we're supposed to be getting along with one another, loving one another, lifting up one another, Paul writes to this church, this type of church. And speaking of that justification through faith in Jesus Christ, we're not justified by our works. Our salvation comes from Christ and Christ alone, the blood that was shed. Notice what he says, verse 5, by whom we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all the nation for his name. For his name. We have received grace and apostleship. Where did Paul receive these things? What power, what authority did Paul have? Where did he get all that power? Where did he get that authority that he's claiming? Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ, for obedience to the faith among all the nations for his name, for his name. You see, this is not just some little uh, ragtag bunch that he's writing this letter to. We have to understand and remember Rome it's the center of the world. It's the capital of all civilization. It's the seat 
of power during this time. Now that is one uh, event, that is one characteristic that Satan will eventually use against it, but at this point in time, it is being used for his name, for the honor and glory of God. That's why these things are beginning to happen, beginning to manifest themselves. Paul writes to them. This epistle was written probably 58 A.D., somewhere around in there. Paul wrote it from Corinth. Imagine that. Remember that Corinthian church? Yeah, he had to, he had to write them two letters, right? He wrote that bunch two letters. Well, he was in Corinth when he wrote the church in Rome, probably somewhere around 58 A.D., Paul didn't reach Rome until probably about 61 A.D., so probably two and a half, three years later is when he finally reached Rome. And you see, as some people had said, you know, that well, if it wasn't Paul, Peter founded that church over there. But we know that's not true because if indeed that had happened, if Peter had been in there, if Peter had founded that church, we would have seen so out of the book of Acts because Luke would have recorded that for us. Luke would have mentioned that. But we don't see that. So we know that what it was more than likely that manifestation of the Holy Spirit in Jerusalem went all the way out even to Rome. Verses 6 and 7 when Paul gets down there he says among whom are you also the called of Jesus Christ to all that be in Rome Beloved of God, called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. There's, I mean, I, there is about two months of preaching in those, these two little verses here. Notice what Paul is saying in his introduction to this church in Rome. Among whom are you also the called of Jesus Christ? You see, where do we get our calling? How are we called? Who calls us? You see, people will say, well, I've been called. I've been called to preach. I've been called to teach. I've been called to do that. I've been called to be saved. I've been called into the ministry. Called, called, called. But what is Paul saying? Among whom you are also the called. Of Jesus Christ. Remember what we, we've talked about this. It was probably last year when we talked about that. A lot of people will, you know, will say, if I could just understand uh, uh, my plan, you know, if I could understand God's plan for me. If I knew what God's plan for me was. And it's like, you know, hold on just a second. You see, God's plan is his plan. And he's not formalizing a special plan just for you or just for me. You see, God says if you want to get in on this plan, come on. I'll accept you. You come on in. You believe in my son Jesus Christ? You're, you're in on my plan. But God's not setting up in heaven formulating uh, seven billion different plans to disseminate down to people throughout the world today. You see, this is what Paul, what he's talking about. Among whom you are so, you also the called of Jesus Christ. 
All calling comes through Jesus Christ. If I'm called to do anything, it's because I'm a believer in Jesus Christ. Amen. That's it. If you're called to do anything, it's because you're a believer in Jesus Christ. If I'm going to heaven, it's because I believed in Jesus Christ. If I've been blessed, it's because I believe in Jesus Christ. God's not picking out people that are special and giving them special blessings for this and for that and for this and for that. No, we are what we are because of Jesus Christ. God's attention, God's focus, God the Father now I'm speaking of. His attention, His focus is the Son. Jesus Christ. That's what this is. This Bible here. That is His attention. That is His focus. If you want to get God's attention, guess where you got to be? In the Son. Not the S-U-N, the S-O-N. That's right. Because that's what God's attention is focused on, His Son. You see, church, that's what Paul is saying to that church. Among whom you also are the called of Jesus Christ. To all that be in Rome, beloved of God. Called to be. What does that say? Saints? You mean, Archie, you're a saint? Adam just saying? Yes. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you are a saint. Nobody has to declare it. They don't have to burn incense or some altar to declare you a saint. They don't have to have a special day set aside. That already happened the day you believed in Jesus Christ. You are a saint of God. That's how special you are to Him. That's how precious the blood that was shed on the cross of Calvary is to the Heavenly Father. If that blood is applied to your life, you are a saint of God. Yes, you are. Paul's addressing the church. Beloved of God. Called to be saints. Once again, where's that calling come through? Where do you get sainthood from? Jesus Christ. His blood and his blood alone. It comes from Jesus Christ. Grace to you. Peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul, writing to this church. You see, in this letter, we get an insight into the earnestness, the zeal of the Roman Christians. For a company of people is as marked by the character of the letters which it receives as by the one who writes them. You see, this letter that Paul's writing, this letter that we've, that we've declared to be one of the, the greatest works of literature ever penned, why, why was it so? Because these people were on fire for Jesus Christ. These people were on fire. It was a church on fire. They were on fire for God. Paul recognized that. Look what he says there in the 8th verse. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all. 
that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. Now, we're going to see here in, in this, this beautiful language, in this beautiful thought, this beautiful characteristic, we're also going to see how the mind of Satan works. Okay? We need to recognize this because Paul's going to hit on into that later on in this chapter. As a matter of fact, it gravitates to the very verse that we read there at the beginning. That those that see, that know, that hear these things are without excuse. Paul says, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. Think about this. Is it not strange that a church in a, any big city should have a certain power and authority from its situation, especially so when it itself is strong? When the church in the capital city of the Roman Empire began to grow rapidly in membership, it easily took a leading place in the Christian councils. Remember what we said? That Rome is the center of the world, right? Rome is the center of, it's the capital of all civilization. And when the church at Rome begins to grow stronger and stronger in Jesus Christ, no doubt people are going to take notice. People are going to hear. People are going to understand what is happening here. Notice this, though. It should be remembered also that this foremost position was not one exclusively gained through a large membership or from a desire for ecclesiastical control or lordship over the churches, but because of the purity of its faith, the zeal in bringing men and women to Christ and the willingness to suffer his cause even to death. See all these commentaries there we've looked at. This Henry Thorne Sale wrote a study in early church Christian history. It's a public domain work. It's written back hundreds of years ago, over a hundred years ago. You see, he looked and he studied these things out and seen what was happening. Just the same way that you and I can do today. What will a church tell you? Notice what is said about this church. That its position, its power, did not come from a desire for ecclesiastical control or lordship over other churches. They weren't saying, we're the biggest, we're the baddest, we're the best, so you got to take orders from us. No, that is in direct opposition to the gospel of Jesus Christ. For what does the gospel tell us? That if we are his, if we belong to him, if we are one of his called, we'll what? We'll consider the needs of our brothers and sisters ahead of ourselves. We won't seek to be controlling, lording over other people. We'll be a living example of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. This is what he's talking about. This is what he was writing concerning this church. You see, like we said at the beginning, those that would, that would throw their uh, grappling hooks back to that first century church and say, 
That's where we get our power and authority at. That's where we get our ecclesiastical doctrine from. That's where we go back to. No, 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 no. Because you see something about this church right here. They were on fire for Jesus Christ because of what? The purity of its faith. The purity of its faith. Think about that. The zeal in bringing men and women to Christ. When's the last time we had zeal in bringing someone to Jesus Christ? When is the last time the church had zeal in bringing someone to Christ? You see what we've got to in our modern day, in our modern age, most of the time, uh, we just get to the point to where it's like, okay, this is what we've got to do this week, and this is on the schedule, and, you know, this is where we're at, BBS this week, uh, revival this week, I'll meet you Sunday morning, meet you Sunday night, and the zeal is gone. The zeal is not there anymore. But this church back then, they were on fire. And you see, that's what we spoke of a while ago when we mentioned that the fact that Satan would use the effectiveness of this church as leverage against it eventually. These people had zeal in bringing men and women to Christ. And willingness, get this, willingness to suffer in his cause, even to the death. Ooh, where are we at today? Where are we at today? The willingness to suffer in his cause, the willingness to suffer the cause of Jesus Christ, even to death. Do you know that we live in a time where people are dying for the cause of Christ? Where people are dying for the gospel of Jesus Christ? We live in that time. Are we like the church in Rome? Are we like the church that Paul wrote this letter to? That's what we're going to be looking at over the next three weeks as we go further into this chapter, first chapter, our first book of uh, Romans. As we see, as we begin to understand, uh, Paul uh, was never one to mince words, was he? He just hit you right between the eyes and hoped you liked it when he done. Yes. Church, we can still have zeal in serving our Lord and Savior. We can still, with eagerness, with love, with compassion, be a light to a lost and a dying world. We can be just like this church was back in those days, on fire for Jesus Christ, shining the gospel going out into all the world, spreading the good news that Jesus saves. Brother Mel, come with a verse of a song, if you would. And this will be our invitation today. That if one that is hearing these words is lost and undone, without the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, as Savior of their soul, that today would be the day that you make it right with him. Today would be the day that you, like Paul defined in 1 Corinthians 15, would believe that he died for your sins according to the scriptures. You would believe that he was buried and that he rose again 
according to the scriptures for your sins and in repentance believe and accept what Jesus Christ has done for you, nothing else, and you shall be saved. That's what the Bible says. That's what scripture says. And scripture is the truth. It is God's word. So today, would you accept Jesus Christ as 